Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the message. Join Pastor Rick in making you welcome. I'm going to be teaching out of Colossians. Very good. We should. We only got like 27 more teachings out of this book, and we should be good. Uh, that's probably not true. Uh, emphasis on probably not true. I appreciate y'all being here. Um, I was planning on getting through 17 today, but we're going to get through 12 or 13, that is. So, but I mean, that's still pretty good for a Wednesday night service. Uh, last week we talked about, we started in chapter three, and I told you that almost in all of Paul's writings, perhaps all of Paul's writings, he has a time of theology, like he discusses principles of theology, and then he turns the page or hinges and begins to discuss practical application. This is who you are because of Christ Jesus, and this is what you were responsible to because of who you are. And I, I love that because if I just have information without practical application, I feel like I'm lacking. I know God expects things of me, wants things from me, not in a legalistic way, but because it proves the love that I have for him and the love that I have for people. So he expects us to behave in a particular way. And he starts that, Paul does, starts that tinge from theology to practical application in chapter 3. And we discussed verses 1 through 4 last week of chapter 3. And we we determined that we have been raised in Christ Jesus, according to Paul. That as, as we have been raised, we've been made a new creature, no longer who we were, and as a new creature, we have been, or should be, radically transformed. All of these things, because we have been, we have our minds on Christ, we are hidden in Him, and we have been and will continue to be revealed in Him, to glory, uh, when glory comes. And so all of these things, this radical transformation that happens in being raised in Christ should create, pay attention to this, this is where we fall short, we get all this theology and then we just let, let our head be filled with stuff. I'm sad to say, sad to report, and I think you would probably agree, that most of us are educated beyond our obedience. We have so much information in our head, but very, do very little with the information that we've been given. And so he starts with raised in this, and this is because of this, you are radically transformed. And because you are radically transformed, you have an obligation. Here's your obligation. Be holy. And Paul begins a, although he doesn't actually use the word holy, he, become, he begins to discuss the necessity of holiness. Now, here's the prop. There's an old Methodist preacher from the 1800s. I wish I could remember the guy's name. I think he's, his name is Moore, perhaps. But he said this, if Christians were as afraid of sin as they are of holiness, it would be a glorious thing. 
Oh, that hit me in the teeth when I read it. Because it's true. We're more interested or less interested in holiness than we are the sin that we commit. We've convinced ourselves that since we can't be holy this side of heaven, completely holy this side of heaven, then we shouldn't pursue holiness. And we don't preach holiness. We don't expect holiness. We don't expect holiness of our brother. We don't hold them accountable to holiness. When the Word of God tells us we are to strive towards holiness. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect right now. Matter of fact, we won't be perfect until we're in the presence of the perfect according to the Word of God. But it does not, everybody says does not, eliminate the responsibility to strive towards holiness. And that should be an increasing holiness day by day by day by day. We have been called to be holy. And as we strive towards holiness, we come to a place where we are more and more perfected. 1 Peter 14 1 Peter, I didn't write the chapter down, so verses 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which you were, which were yours in your ignorance. Pay attention to that. There was a time when you were ignorant. Before Jesus Christ was revealed to you, even after Jesus Christ was revealed to you, some of us are still realizing that some of the stuff that we do, <coughs> we shouldn't be doing. Because as God reveals Himself to us, we realize where we fall short. My pastor will tell you that first little while after he got saved, he cussed while he prayed. Because he didn't know that cussing wasn't an okay thing. But once he came to an understanding through the Word of God that cussing wasn't okay, he stopped doing it. But there was a time of ignorance, and there was a time of ignorance for all of us. But this particular text says, do not be conformed to the lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you're, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you should walk like a Christian. You should talk like a Christian. You should act like a Christian. And you should pursue holiness so that you become more and more Christ-like. That's our responsibility. And so, Paul tells us, in starting in verse 5, that... Our responsibility, if we are going to be holy, is to take some stuff off and put some stuff on. When I, 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 if you follow me on Facebook, you've heard me say this today. When I used to go to church as a young man, or when people ask me about the church here that I pastor, <clears throat> one of the most familiar questions that I get asked, and asked even then, even though I wasn't saved, I would ask, well, what do y'all wear? You guys ever heard that? I've been asked that question, well, what, what do y'all wear at your church? And some people say, well, we wear suits, or, you know, you can wear a collared shirt and some slacks. Uh, some people don't care, just come as you are. T-shirt, flip-flops, shorts. Just so you know, we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. Now, I believe that you should present your best to the Lord. But if the best that you have is a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, then present yourself there. 
And even if that isn't your best and that's what you show up with, that's not my responsibility. That's God's responsibility to clean you. Our responsibility is to love them, to catch them as fishers of men so that they can be cleaned up and become holy. Everybody all right? So, we have some things we need to take off. But what we have to take off and put on has nothing to do with what we wear. It has everything to do with who we are and what God expects of us. He reads this. Let me read this. 5 through 11. And I'm going to kind of break this down as I go through it. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. You need to consider your body dead. That means mortified. In this particular text, it specifically means to destroy the strength of, to deprive the flesh of its power, to cause the flesh to be impotent. So you need to live in such a way that your flesh has no power over you because by the Spirit of God, the flesh has been mortified in you. So he says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, mortified, impotent, lacking power in immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed. Listen to this. Which amounts to idolatry. When we leave on Issues of immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. We are saying that we are in rebellion to the Word of God and violate the very first commandment of God, which is, you shall have no other God before me. So you're saying whatever it is you're greedy trying to obtain, whatever impurity that is within you, every passion that is within you is greater than the God that you say you serve. You are creating an idol out of that thing. And according to the text in the next verse, it says, for it is because of these things, because of these actions that you've allowed to become the God in your life, consider the members of your, uh, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. That's, that's strong. If you do this, 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 and this, if you perform these actions, you're saying that you are, in, you are committing idolatry towards God, saying these things are more significant than God. And let me tell you, because of your rebellion, because of your disobedience, you are called sons of disobedience and are deserving of the wrath of God. That's, that's pretty heavy stuff, man. Paul's laying it on pretty strong. He wants to make sure that you know who you are in Christ. But because of who you are in Christ, you've got to put down the impurity, the lust, all the stuff that you were in, or consider yourself in rebellion to God deserving judgment. Man, if you really run your life through the filter of those statements, that's going to hurt your feelings. Now, I'm not talking about, man, you're out here cheating on your wife with this, uh, with some of these things where it says immorality or impurity. 
I'm not talking about stealing a bunch of stuff or being a serial burglarist or any of those kinds of things. But if there's any impurity in me, anything that thinks more highly of what I can receive than what God has offered me, then I am idolatrous. If you have something that I want, and I focus on that so long that it just consumes my mind, then I have become idolatrous and have walked in rebellion and in rebellion become a son of disobedience and in a, as a son of disobedience deserve wrath. I know I'm kind of walking around in circles on this point, but it's important. You got to take that off. There's no excuse because you are no longer in your ignorance. You know why I'm taking time? So that you can say, oh, I didn't know that. You're not ignorant anymore. Ask yourself, where does my life stand in immorality? What immoral things, things that aren't moral, what impurity, which passion, evil desire, what greed exists in me? And then meditate on it. Don't just ask the question and walk away. We need to spend time meditating on the challenges in the Word of God. Because these are the things that separate us. These are the things that chisel and carve out the impurities in us so that we're not sons of disobedience deserving the wrath of God. This is very important. And so he continues, And in them you also once walked when you were lying in them. When you were living in them. But now, everybody say, but now. There's a blessing coming. You also put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. I ain't doing a whole lot of impure things these days. I'm not near as immoral as I used to be. I don't walk in greed. A boy of malice. And anger, and wrath, slander, and abusive speech. I still struggle with those. That's right. Only one, one person in here giving it right. I've told you guys the, the struggle of my flesh is my anger, my, my tendency towards violence. So this is the thing that I wake up and pray against every single day. But I still struggle. I still say things that I shouldn't say regarding people I shouldn't be speaking about in ways that isn't appropriate. Guess what? I need to put all that off too. And some of y'all, man, I'm glad I don't struggle with that. Oh yeah? Let somebody go 35 in a 50 mile an hour speed zone <laughs> for four miles in a row. I bet you start dealing with it then. <laughs> right? As you're, because you're not praying for them. Although we should be, but we're not. But this is what causes us to be sons of disobedience and deserving of the wrath of God. We still have to put all that aside. It said, do not lie to one another. Ah, oh, come on, man. Just a little white lie. I really just told that lie so I didn't hurt their feelings. You better tell the truth. If it hurts their feelings, that's, you guys have to work that out. But a little white lie is still a lie. God doesn't grade our sin. Immorality, impurity, passion, the lust of our flesh, and lying 
are all sins. No matter what you think they are, they are what separates you from the holiness of God and cause us to be children deserving wrath. Since you laid, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Christ who created him. Now that's, that's big. What essentially what, is, what he's saying there is you've been renewed through, a, through having been given a revelation of Christ. You're a Christian, you've been given a revelation of Christ. You've made a confession and it wasn't an emotional response to the provocation of a, a leader who was manipulating you or whatever, or a parent who may have been manipulating you. If it was a true spiritual encounter where you declared Jesus Christ as Lord, that means that you have been given, set free from who you were, been made new, through the revelation of Christ Jesus. That you have accepted His atonement, the propitiation, the sacrifice that He made, that He, through the cross of Calvary, placed Himself in death's position so we wouldn't have to face it. Put Himself in the position to receive God's wrath so we wouldn't have to face it. You've been given that revelation of Christ. And if that revelation of Christ should cause you to do anything, should cause us to do anything, it's to put it off. Put off the fleshly lust, the fleshly desires, the things that we used to do, the things we used to be, the things we used to wear. Amen? I don't, I don't know how to be more pointed about this than that. We can't afford in light of eternity, to continue to be post-confession who we were pre-confession. Because post-confession Jim, if he doesn't look different than pre-confession Jim, then confession Jim probably wasn't real anyway. Because we've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit to cause us to move from who we were to who we are, perfecting us in holiness. Everybody all right? All right. A renewal of which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So he's essentially saying, listen, y'all took on the same image of Christ, so y'all should walk in unity looking like each other. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. So, here we are. In verse 12, holiness starts internally. I'm going to do a lesson this week titled Internal Holiness. And next week I'm going to cover the rest of through 17, which is uh, 13 through 17 in external holiness. Because that which starts in your heart will work its way to your hands. Amen? And so, he says this. He begins talking about internal holiness. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart. I'm going to stop right there. 
Actually, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you also, should you. So here we go. Holiness starts internally. We have been chosen of God and holy, which means we have accepted the sacrificial atonement and lordship of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have been predestined for holiness. Now that's going to mess some people up, man, because anytime somebody in a full gospel church uses the word predestined, they think, oh no, he done turned reformed on us or he's gotten Baptist on me or something. But let me tell you, God in his foreknowledge of you predestined you for holiness. You're like, well, what do you mean, Pastor Jim? Well, let me tell you what I mean. I've got children and I've got grandchildren and I hope one day to maybe even see my great-grandchildren. And you know what I have done even before I could put my hands on them physically? I predestined them for greatness. Which means I have created a plan in my mind and through our finances to ensure that they are successful at whatever they put their hand to. That's the same thing God has done for you. Through His Son, Christ Jesus, He predestines you for greatness you weren't capable of achieving by yourself. And so we have been predestined to holiness. And in that, God proves His love for us. Because I predestined my kids, I predestined my grandkids, that proves my love for them. Yes, indeed. And so I've taken off and put aside things which are unholy in His sight, and we have to put some things on. Those things that we put on have to start inside of us. There's a reason, I think, why Paul says, put on a heart of before he starts this list. Put on a heart of, the internal, the seed, the seat of your emotions, your intellect, and your spirit. You need to put on the heart of a thing because your heart will always drive your action. There's a board thing we have at our house that says thoughts become, thoughts becomes Words, words become actions, actions become habits or character, and character is everything. The same is true in your spiritual life. Sins that you think about becomes words, sins you talk about, sins you talk about becomes sins that you do, sins that you do become habits of sin that you create, which leads to character and also to death. Amen? And so we have to put that stuff aside, put on, the actions that God desires of us. And that starts internally. Let me read you these verses. If we don't, we run the risk of being talked to like the Pharisees were talked to by Jesus. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. First, everybody say first. Clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. You can't clean the outside of a dish or a cup. And it'd be funky on the inside and still want to still be useful for what its intended purpose is. You have to clean the outside of it or the inside of it first. Matthew 23, 27. You have whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful. Boy, come on, somebody. But inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
You walk into church, man. People got their good duds on. That's why I don't care what you're wearing as long as you're just doing the best you can. Show up. Let's talk about the gospel. Let the Word of God transform you. But we show up, man. We're, we're prim and proper and we're prissing around. I don't know if you can say priss and pulpit. I'm not sure. I think I don't think that's a bad word. But you're prissing around and you're trying to be somebody and you're using all the right vernacular. You're using all the right language. You know the right verses. You know that... John 3.16, and, and you've gone to all the connect groups. You've done everything you know to do. But on the outside, the second you leave this church because you haven't cleaned the inside, you're as dead as you've ever been. We have to make sure our inside is clean first. I don't care what your tomb looks like on the outside. It's a tomb until you clean out the inside. Hmm. Matthew 15, 17 through 19. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach is in it and is eliminated? But the thing that proceeds out of the mouth comes from the heart, the internal. And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, acts of adultery, other immoral sexual acts, thefts, false testimonies, that's lies, slanderous statements, which according to what we just read in this chapter is what? It causes us to be sons of disobedience and subject to the wrath of God. Clean up the inside first. Deal with your heart before you deal with your hands. But this isn't just true of our thought life, it's true of our mouth too. James 3.6, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among its members as though is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. What starts in the heart moves to what? The mouth. What moves to the mouth moves to habit. What moves to habit moves to either life or destruction. A big deal. To summarize, Proverbs 4.28, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Paul says, worry about yourself on the inside first. Get right with God first. And then as God gives you revelation, and you move out of your ignorance and into truth, deal with your outside. That's how this is supposed to work. I love when people, man, somebody just got saved. And, and the saint comes up to them and says, oh, man, I'm so proud. And we are proud that you gave your life to the Lord. We celebrate as they celebrate in heaven. And they say, they don't, they don't actually do this, but they, it kind of seems like they do. They go, now, Here's all this checklist stuff you got to do. Good luck. Worry about your heart. Seek revelation and clean yourself according to that revelation. Amen? Now, do we need a brother and sister to come alongside of us and help us and disciple us? Yes. But let's not overburden the external before we worry about the internal. All right. Holiness should provoke... Internal changes. 
I'm going to say this as quickly as I know how. And I've just told you, you got to do this, this, you got to set this aside, blah, 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 blah. You don't have the ability to do that. There is not enough self-discipline in the world to crucify your flesh. There's just not. I can self-discipline myself to go to the gym. I don't. But I could, right? I do self-discipline myself to eat a bunch of gummy bears. Like, I got that. But let me tell you, there's not enough discipline in the world to cut things out of you that shouldn't be in you. You need the Holy Spirit for that. And praise God, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit was given to us to do. To walk alongside of us. To be a helper to us. To convict us of what? Sin, righteousness, and the judgment. God God will convict you of sin. Like I said, there may be sin in your life you're not even aware of. God's going to convict you of that. God's going to convict you to maintain righteousness. God's going to convict you concerning judgment so that you maintain righteousness so that you might ultimately be, as we learned last week, revealed in Christ in glory. Amen? This is the blessing of the Holy Spirit that we can't do, but that's okay. Because God empowered us, strengthened us, indwelled us with the strength of His Holy Spirit to be able to do. Everybody all right? And because of that, Paul says this. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do do these sound familiar to you? If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 5, you'll see that those are the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) There's a... That's just a... It's a hint, that's a clue that we can't do it ourselves. If it's a fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit gives us the ability to accomplish so that we no longer walk in our flesh, but according to the Spirit, no longer according to death, but life according to the Spirit, then we should know this is what we have to start working on on the inside first. We need to become compassionate because Jesus was compassionate. Is God merciful? Yes. But you know what? His mercy showed itself in compassion. He had mercy on us, praise God. But compassion moves from mercy, this feeling that I have, to gut-wrenching need to actually do something to meet the need of the person that needs something. Matthew 9.36, I love this. It says, seeing that the people, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. But listen, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. But because he felt compassion, what did he do? He took action. That's the whole reason why he came to earth in the first place. Because he had mercy that compelled compassion. In verse 35, the verse before that, it says, he's going through all the cities and the villages. And his heart's breaking. And he has compassion for them. Let us be people who have compassion. But not just compassion, kindness. 
Let me tell you, if we did all these things, we would be verse 11. There'd be unity in the church. None of us would be any different than the other. You might be a different skin tone. You might come from a different region. You might have different traditions and backgrounds. But we would all look the same in Christ Jesus. If we had compassion for one another, if we had kindness for, I mean, true kindness, not tolerance, kindness, to be as concerned with you as I am with me. That's what kindness is. Are you as concerned about the guy next to you as you are with yourself? If you had a sandwich and you knew they were hungry, would you share your sandwich with them? That's kindness. But not just kindness, it says put on humility. This is the most significant of all Christian virtue. I am convinced that it's the most significant of Christian virtue. Because it's, it's opposite is the reason sin exists in the first place. Arrogance. It's the reason why the original sin happened. And I'm not talking about in Adam, I'm talking about in the devil. Because he lacked humility. He thought he could be equal to or greater than God. And every time that we sin in our arrogance, instead of humility, instead of walking in humility, we say, I know better than God knows. That's what arrogance is. Every sin that we've ever committed starts with a, now you might not have this conscious thought, but it's a, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to have that, but I know what's better than me, better for me than God. And that deserves the wrath of God. Walk in humility. Because that's what Jesus did. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is the attitude of Christ. Put on gentleness. Closely related to kindness and humility, but it's not the same thing. It essentially means be meek. Which goes beyond gentleness or, or kindness that says, I'm going to treat you as well as myself. It says, I'm going to prefer you over myself. Not because I'm weak, but because I care about you. I did a series, three-part series several years ago. I think it's on our stuff, but it's called Meek Not Weak. There is strength and meekness. We have to put on meekness or strength or gentleness and put on patience. Patient people don't get angry with other people. If you're a person who's in, easily offended, let me tell you, you got two problems. Two big problems. You don't have patience and you lack humility. I have come to learn that the person who is patient and humble, like truly strives for patience and humility, is unoffendable. People, people say crazy stuff to me. Crazy stuff. And I know sometimes people say crazy stuff to you. But if we walk in humility, they don't need to know our side of the story. They just need to see the gentle, patient, kind love of God in us. They probably have been sold a, a lie about you anyway. 
Why defend somebody else's lie? Amen? So here we are. Deal with the internal stuff first by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Take off who you used to be. Put on at least internally who God created you to be so that we can discuss next week what God expects having dealt with your heart, what you should be externally, which is a person of forgiveness, of love, of peace, and of thanksgiving. Those are external actions provoked by internal heart change. Amen? Is anybody, everybody good? All right, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that as we put on these internal things, not only do we become, come to a greater state of holiness, but that we become more unified as a church. All right, Pastor Leonard, you want to pray? It's closed.